Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily from our Sunday morning gathering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. And then the Grinch puzzled and puzzled some more. The Grinch puzzled till his puzzler was sore. The Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. What if Christmas doesn't come from a store? What if Christmas means so much more? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. One of the liturgical, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, one of the changes that we made this year was, as I said, that the gospel when it's proclaimed should be the gospel that Linus reads, because that's always how I hear the story from Luke, is Linus, and it'd be great if you, know, you could work on your Linus voice for next year. <laughs> Brene Brown, probably the most famous Episcopalian, shares the story um, about one morning she is sitting in her kitchen drinking a cup of coffee and she drop, drops the cup of coffee and the coffee spills all over her, her white slacks and the coffee cup lands on the ground and it smashes into a million pieces and she yells out, dang it, Steve. Steve's her husband. Now, Steve did not knock the cup of coffee out of her hands, nor did um, Steve come up and scare her. You see, Steve, the night before, had a work event, and he was out late, and so she stayed up late to wait for him to get home to make sure he got home safely. And because of this, she was tired, so she needed a second cup of coffee, and it's the second cup of coffee that she spilled, therefore, clearly, it's his fault. <laughs> Brene uses this story as a way of talking about the ways in which we often try to blame others for things that are our own fault. As a way of avoiding shame and guilt, it is easier just to turn it on to somebody else. We see this at the very beginning of Scripture in the reading from Genesis chapter 3, which, time and memoriam, Boone is going to read at the Lessons and Carol service, because if you were at that service, it was a work of art. But in that story, God comes down to Adam and Eve and says, who ate of the fruit of the tree that I told you not to eat from? And Adam says, that woman that you gave me told me to eat of that. Right? It's something that is part of human nature. We want to go and turn our blame onto someone else. Maybe that's because we think of God as the scorekeeper who is just waiting and looking for us to mess up. Oh, we made a mistake. There I am. I'm going to have to work that one off. This is a common view of God in our own culture here in Tulsa, but we are here today to say that there is no limit to God's love. As much as our human temptation is to place limits upon how much and how deep God loves us, there is no limit. John Ronson's book, So You Have Been Shamed, tells the story of the misfortune of Lindsay Stone, this gifted nonprofit executive who did amazing work. And she had an Instagram feed in which she would post pictures of herself doing kind of funny things. 
she would stand in front of a no loitering sign and take a selfie with it. She would find a statue and she would mimic its look and she would share it. And in not her best moment or her best choice was she posted a picture of something that she thought funny at Arlington National Cemetery, one of the holiest places in our, uh, in our, world, in our country's culture. And suddenly, the picture began to be shared all over the internet, and people began to attack her, and she ended up losing her job. So much about our culture is about finding people at their worst and magnifying it, meeting out justice so that we can say, well, at least I'm not like that person. But the reality is the severity of shame and guilt almost always outweighs the severity of trespass. I was struck by the language last week when we lit the fourth candle, sometimes called the candle of love. The reader said that God's steadfast love has been made known to us in his son, Jesus Christ who laid down his life for all people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that to the end that all who believe in him would not perish but have life eternal. We cannot comprehend how vast, how high, how deep, and how wide God's love is for us. B.B. King wrote a wonderful Christmas song, and it goes like this. I was a sailor, I was lost at sea, I was under the waves before love rescued me. I was a fighter, I could turn on a thread, now I stand accused of things that I've said. Love comes to town, I'm going to jump that train. When love comes to town, I'm going to catch that flame. Maybe I was wrong to ever let you down, but I did what I did before love came to town. This is what the shepherds do. The shepherds jump on the train of love to go and see that which was born in Bethlehem. Three times Luke tells us about the manger. But the manger is not the point of the story. It's not go, oh, look at that manger. It's look at what is inside of that manger. A manger containing love incarnate. A manger that is containing God of course, it's easy for us to search for the manger rather than to search for Jesus. But when we encounter Jesus, when we encounter God, we are transformed. As any child of the 90s, Friends is one of those uh, shows that formed um, my cultural experience, and earlier this uh, year, uh, Matthew Perry, who played Chandler, wrote a biography about his life. Those of you who know his story, he struggled for almost all of his adult life with alcohol and with drugs. You could watch him season to season, and seasons in which he was heavier, he was off the drugs, and the seasons in which he was skinnier, he was on the drugs. And he shares this story in his biography about his encounter with God. He writes, I hate myself. This was a new bottom. I didn't think I could get any lower than the last bottom, but somehow I had managed to do it. And I did all of this in front of my father who was terrified. 
The cunning, baffling, powerful nature of addiction had got me one more time. This was serious trouble. I was a desperate man. The drugs were in full flow. The drinking too. Things were so bad I couldn't even cry. To cry might have signaled that there was at least some semblance of normal somewhere in me, but there was nothing normal about me. So at a bottom, at the lowest point of my life, and this is a classic moment for the addict, a moment after which one seeks lasting help, but hey, what is this now? As I sat there looking into my parents' kitchen outside of their door, I noticed a crinkle in the atmosphere. Perhaps someone not at their bottom might have waved it away as a nothing, but to me it was so compelling I could not look away. It resembled a kind of little wave in the air. I had never seen anything like it in my life. It was real. It was true. It was tangible. It was concrete. Is this what you see at the end? Am I dying? I frantically began to pray, he says, with the desperation of a drowning man. The last time I had prayed, right before I got the role on Friends. I had managed only to strike a bargain with God and who had simply drawn a long breath and bided his dang time. Here I was a decade later, later, chancing my praying arm again. God, help me, I whispered. Show me that you're here. God, please help me. And as I prayed, the little wave in the air transformed into a small golden light. As I kneeled, the light slowly began to get bigger and bigger until it was so big that it encompassed the entire room. It was like standing on the sun. Had I I had stepped on the surface of the sun, what was happening? And why was I starting to feel better? Why was I not terrified? The light engendered a feeling more perfect than the most perfect quantity of drugs that I had ever taken. Feeling euphoric now, I did get scared and tried to shake it off, but there was nothing to shake off. This was bigger than me. My only choice was to surrender to it, which was not hard because it felt so good. The euphoria that had begun at the top of my head seeped down through my entire body. For the first time in my life, he writes, I was in the presence of love and acceptance and filled with an overwhelming feeling that everything was going to be okay. I knew now that my prayer had been answered. I was in the presence of God. Bill Wilson, who created AA, was saved by a lightning bolt through the window experience. This was mine. This is the sort of grace that God comes to us. Maybe not in the big ways, like Matthew Perry, but in in small ways, each and every day, God comes to us in grace and to love. God is not one who checks his list and checks it twice to find out who is naughty and nice, Capon says. Rather, God is the one who comes and forgets the list altogether. Whatever I did, I did before love came to town. Amen.